Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstown. Hello and welcome to another very exciting edition of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I'm a fan of a White Sox team that when every time they take a couple steps forward, they take a couple steps back. But, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. The other day I was watching the Chicago White Sox just get absolutely drilled by the Houston Astros. It was last Friday night. And all of a sudden I follow all 30 Major League Baseball teams on Twitter and I am a huge fan of participating in the conversation of all 30 teams I just love baseball. And the other day I noticed the New York Mets had a space open and I was just enjoying myself listening to the Mets fans talk about their biggest win or their latest win. And that fan base is rabid and they're really doing good this year. I really enjoy watching the New York Mets play. And I got to speak in it a little bit, you know, talk about Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and stuff like that. And so I started perusing a little bit. The guy I was talking to, the host, Mike Janella, he's the New York Mets TV host. We're going to bring him in right now. And Mike, how we doing? Doing well, Vinny. Thanks for having me. I always love knowing that there's people maybe outside of Flushing Queens paying attention to what we got going on here. So uh, appreciate your reaching out the other day and then also having me on here now. Of course. I'm a big fan. I thought the space was very well run. I like listening to all the people chime in. It seemed like a fun, healthy conversation. So credit to you for that. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, shameless plug after every Mets uh, home win. Check us out uh, at Mets or at Mike Janella on Twitter. Uh, you know, I grew up here in Central Jersey, the, the days of Mike and the Mad Dog on the fans. So call in radio. Uh, that's something I always loved growing up. So I love being able to bring that to fans. And uh, it's been we did it last year. This year has been great. The team's obviously doing well. So it's been a lot of fun. But thanks for the kind words uh, in, in what you think about it. Of course, I'll be keeping in touch all season long. I love that Mets team, and I'm I'm rooting for them from an American League fans team's point of view. I definitely enjoy watching them play. And, of course, so far this season, they've been off to a great start. What do you have to say for them? It's just been fun, but it's also a bit of, you know, how much better can they be? All right. This is it. And that's that's the, the curse of being a New York Mets fan. And I grew up a fan before long before I ever worked for the team. But it's always as a Mets fan, you know, what's going to go wrong or, yeah, we expected something. We're getting something better, but how can we get even more than that? Right. So right now, Mets fans, after last year, all the all the issues the team had with starting rotation injuries uh, that really torpedoed what was a pretty good season there for a while. They go out, they get Max Scherzer. They go out, they get Chris Bassett. But now you have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer both out for extended periods of time with injury. And now it's well, how fast can we get those guys back? Can we trade for Luis Castillo? Can we trade for Frankie Montes? Can we get even more guys in the lineup after bringing 
Starling Marte and Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar over and, and getting better years, bounce back years from Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nimmo. So I think winning begets winning, right? And it begets more wanting more winning. So I think it's been a great, amazing season so far. It's something I try and tell a lot of the Mets fans when I host these spaces shows is enjoy the ride. We've turned into a real big rings culture where if you don't win a World Series or any title in any sport, the season was a waste of time. Try not to think that way because the Mets have had a lot of great games, a lot of great stretches, a lot of great moments so far. And it's been really enjoyable, but there is, and I'd be guilty if I, of it myself a little bit, that there is that want for more, right? So trading deadline six weeks away. Uh, the Braves were closer in the division than they were before their 14-game winning streak. Uh, would be always great. I think any fan base in baseball would always want one more big hitter in the lineup, one more pitcher in the rotation, one more or two more arms in the bullpen, and more wins. So... So far, so good, but, you know, waiting to see where the rest of the summer goes, hopefully in a good direction. That's very fair. You got to have – you touched on it a little bit. You got to have a little bit of extra confidence, though. The season has gone as well as it has so far, and you've barely had Max Scherzer, who was the biggest offseason signing probably by any team, at least in terms of pitching, and you couple that with Jacob deGrom, and I think you named two of the three best starters in the last 10, 15 years. They're both on one team right now. And you've had so much success without them. So if you add them, you seemingly get that much better. How exciting is that as a Mets employee and fan? It's it's hard to describe because it, you're waiting, right? And it's that that weird waiting of is it really going to happen? And you want to temper expectations just because we, you know, as followers of this sport for as long as we have been, you know, everything can still go wrong, right? So it's especially after last year seeing Jacob Zagram hit the highs he hit. But then also miss the time with his injury, get maybe you know back before too soon, and just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's kind of a second nature for Mets fans in general. But it, it's just to see them together, especially last homestand. They're both throwing. They're watching each other throw. They're talking to each other in the dugout. They're going over things with other members of the starting rotation. It's just so exciting to think that all right, these two guys who have multiple Cy Youngs between them who, like you said, are two of the best pitchers, if not the two best pitchers. I'm sure Justin Verlander would like a word, Clayton Kershaw to an extent, of the last 10 years. On the same team, in the same locker room, in the same clubhouse, talking to other guys, sharing their wisdom, allowing the bullpen to do you know what it can on more rest, striking out 10 to 15 guys anytime, any given start of theirs. It's, just, it's, it's incredible. And to know they're coming back without you having to give up anything. You don't got to trade for these guys. You don't have to give up any more money for these guys. They're already there. So, yeah, it's, I mean, sky's the limit once you have a rotation like that and everybody else, Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, et cetera, can sort of cascade down into their more supporting roles. You got to think this team has everything that it would need to compete and go deep in the playoffs. So, yeah, to answer your question in a short way, I'm pumped. I think Mets fans are pumped. Uh, Scherzer should be back this weekend, it's looking like maybe, to Grom within a month. And all that waiting. The fact the team is still first in the division, that they still have this incredible offense on paper that's been producing night in and night out. Now you add in two of the best pitchers we've ever seen, still kind of toward the peak of their powers. Yeah, sign us all up. You have to applaud. You touched on a little bit as well. You have to applaud a little bit the rest of the rotation, though. You touched on guys like Chris Bassett and all them. To me, it's been really cool to watch them just kind of elevate their roles a little bit while these two guys are out. And then once they come back, you just got to hope they stay elevated. And maybe you do have four or five pitchers that you can trust in a playoff series. Like everybody says, well, the Mets in a playoff series, you got to go to Grom Scherzer. And then what after that? Well, there are plenty of guys there now that you fully trust. 
Yeah, and you know, Chris Bassett, I think, is chief among them. He had his rough start, especially when the Mets were on that huge uh, West Coast road trip. Or had a great start, I should say, then a rough stretch. Uh, but now he's got two back-to-back starts where it seems like he's figured some stuff out. He's proven it before, so it's not like he's a flash in the pan. Carlos Carrasco you know, left his start this week with some lower back tightness, but before that, it looked like he had found something. Hopefully, Mets are awaiting some MRI results. Hopefully, it's not anything too serious, but he's a veteran that showed Cy Young caliber talent before. Taiwan Walker is a first-round pick. He's got pedigree. He was an all-star last year, faded a bit in the second half, but if he can continue a bit more of his consistent pitching, and he's struck out 19 guys his last two starts, so he's been looking great. If all things go according to plan and the Mets walk into October with DeGrom game one, Scherzer game two, Bassett game three, either of Walker or Carrasco in a game four, and then you have either of those guys still waiting in your back pocket or in long relief, and you can go back to Scherzer or DeGrom and turn the rotation over. And then you have guys like Tyler McGill and David Peterson who are still young but have shown they could definitely shove too if those guys are able to come in in relief. And you just have now all of a sudden a bullpen full of studs leading up to Edwin Diaz, who's as good a closer as there is in the game. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want that? And you don't have to, it's not like the Brewers last year where you have to win every game one nothing. This is a team that can also score some runs. So like I said, they seem to have everything you need formula-wise to be a contender, maybe a couple more bullpen arms, but also maybe those arms just become self-evident once the postseason rolls around because everyone uses their roster differently at that time. And going for a seven-game series is much different than managing a 162-game season. That's awesome. And you bring up the offense, helping support the rotation and the pitching. I think that, like you said, wildly important. They're not the Milwaukee Brewers. I've seen probably out of every player on the Mets, I've probably seen Francisco Lindor in person the most just because he was in Cleveland and coming to Chicago quite regularly. He used to scare the crap out of me as a fan of the opposing (laughs) team. And now he's on the New York Mets. Getting to enjoy watching him play in New York has been great. What are your thoughts on Francisco Lindor? And are you happy with how he has been so far? Ecstatic. Yeah. Uh, You know, he had struggles last year. First half of his season wasn't great. He would self admit that. Second half of the season, I think he started to settle in. Uh, You know, Javi Baez, we had him as a rental for a while here in town, and they're great friends. I think that helped get Francisco a little bit more of a clear head as well. It didn't work out for the Mets on the field as well as they hoped, but if if that was the the skeleton key to unlock Lindor long-term, you know, worth the trade. Because now everybody around here was always drawing comparisons to Carlos Beltran when he came here in 2005, and he came with this huge expectation a lot of proven excellence, mostly in the American League Central from his time with Kansas City, right? He obviously had that quick uh, rental run with Houston. But Carlos struggled in 2005, and Francisco, same in, two, in last year. And then Beltron erupted. 2006, he had one of the best years in Mets history offensively. And now we're seeing Francisco Lindor bounce back in a similar way too. So I think the comparisons to those two players end there. But it is a convenient narrative, right? And now it's fun. This is a guy that, especially in this market, you want that personality. You want the guy that's got the big smile. You want the guy that's going to shake hands and do promo videos and go to local charities and local businesses and just meet people and, you know, flex a bicep when he hits the third homer of the night, Uh, pump up the crowd, you know, wave, get the, the shoulders and the arms going. Like you want that, especially for a team that has a lot of more understated guys, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso. They're not, you know, those very outspoken people. This is a city that loves a spark plug, and Francisco Lindor is that kind of personality. And now the fact that I, I haven't checked the latest stats, but as of a couple of days ago, 
know, there's only seven guys, I think, with 40-40 in the National League or in baseball, runs and RBI. And he was one of them. And Pete Alonso's the other. The Mets were the only t- team with two of those guys in the same lineup. They might be at 50-50 now. I, I haven't checked uh, recently, like I said. But for him to have that kind of production and to be the guy the Mets thought was worth you know, bringing over in a trade and then extending for as long as they did before he ever played a game, I think a lot of fans were too quick to judge him in the first half last year because his numbers in the second half were already showing a ton of regression in the right direction. And now he's showing that maybe he's not the 40 home run hitter People thought he might have been back in 2018 or 17, but he could do everything else right. The defense is still great. He's been making some plays defensively the last two, three weeks that have just made me say, wow, consistently. And he's great. Uh, I love having him. So sorry to now Guardians fans, but you know he's all ours and we, we like having him around here. That's awesome. And it's nice seeing him in a lineup with Peter Alonzo. I, I really enjoy watching that guy play. Um, he seems to, along with Lindor, be one of the true catalysts of a very good offense, as you mentioned. Do you think he can take it to the next step? What What about in the playoffs? He just seems to me like a guy who has a big moment just waiting for him in the playoffs. The closest thing that he's seen to that, you could say, is the home run derby, right? And he's yep. won that twice in a row. National stage, the only baseball thing happening that day or that night. Um and what does Pete do? He goes out there and wins it back-to-back years. And in one of those years, it was his first time ever doing it. He's a guy when, you know, he's chasing the rookie home run record and the Mets franchise record back in 2019 for homers. It never seemed to get the best of him. He always seemed to thrive on that. He kind of wanted it. Um, and he's a guy that I think personality-wise is, is built for those moments. And I think Lindor is the same way too. So it's great to have those two guys as kind of the, like you said, the, the catalyst. They are the linchpins of that lineup. And you have guys like Nimmo Marte that can set the table. You have guys like Cannon McNeil that can offer some protection and some length. But you need, no matter what team you are, no matter how far back in baseball history you want to go, you need your superstars. That's how you win more often than not. And even those, those late 90s Yankees teams that never seem to have that Hall of Fame player, you know, at his peak, Tino Martinez was a great, like, slugging first baseman. At his peak, Derek Jeter was a Francisco Lindor-type guy. At his peak, Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams were legit feared hitters. And that's something that you need in any lineup, I think. And Alonzo and Lindor are those two guys for the Mets. And I I certainly, Mike Stradamus here, I certainly could see a a future moment where Pete Alonzo is up to the plate in a clutch situation in October, and he comes through because that's what he wants and those kind of players that perform in those situations, you don't want to shy away from that. They want that that burden. They want that task. They want the situation. And I think he's one of those guys. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I can't wait to see it. I, I honestly hope that does happen. I hope everything you said comes true because I would just love Mets down by one, runner on third, two outs, Alonzo. Boom. That, that would just be so cool. He just seems like the perfect fit for that kind of thing. The Mets roster has... I'm not going to say it doesn't have any flaws. I think every team in the league can use an upgrade somewhere, but they have very good players at almost every position. Is there anything you would like to see them do before the trade deadline in six weeks? Or are you kind of team Stan Pat? Or what do you, what's in your mind on the Mets with as far as that? I think if they stand Pat, wouldn't be the worst thing, but I don't think, I don't think they will. Uh, just because this is a team designed to win now. They had the oldest average age uh, for the roster on opening day. So they're going to do what they can to to make moves now. But one great thing about this new front office administration is they also, you know, they're steadfast about not mortgaging the future that much. And they've got a bunch of young studs in the minor leagues. Position player-wise, more advanced. 
arms more in the lower levels, but this is a team that wants to be Dodgers East, right? Dodgers 2.0. And the Dodgers seem to be winning a hundred games every year while also promoting a top 10 global prospect every year somehow. So that's what the Mets want to replicate. So I definitely think they will do something, but they won't be giving up the farm for anybody. I'd love to see some bullpen additions. They're going through a lot of different arms so far in the season in the bullpen to see what works and who slots in and what positions. So either if a couple of those guys can either distinguish themselves further in the next six weeks and, and, and claim a role, uh, some injuries have been a problem there too. So maybe guys coming back healthy will help give some clarity there. But there are a couple good relievers I think that can be had for a pretty decent price out there that I think would be great to add to uh, that Mets relief core. And then I have to wait and see. The DH and the NL makes a whole lot of options possible now, right? Uh, Eduardo Escobar, I, you know, hoping he wakes up. He showed some signs of really getting things going when the Mets were out West for almost two weeks. He's back in a slump now. That's somebody the Mets, they need that bat back from him. And if he can't do it, do they try and go for someone that can play third base and give him more of a spell? J.D. Davis has been showing signs of life this year with his bat, uh, trying to you know rejigger his approach as well from, from selling out to just making a lot more contact. Is he someone you can put in as a DH full-time, or is he going to continue being more of a platoon guy and you want to go get another bat that you can alternate with him in that DH spot? So, uh, you know, for the Mets, I think they have six weeks to figure out what they've got. But, yeah, you could always use another bat. I don't care what team you are, right? Even the Dodgers now with three MVP candidates can always use an extra bat. But, yeah, that and I think bullpen are, are two things the Mets will certainly be looking to, to try and upgrade at some point before the beginning of August. Very fair. So you got the Dodgers, you got the Padres. I would even throw the Giants in that mix. Cardinals and Brewers from the Central. Obviously, the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves from your division, the NL East. Who in the NL is Mike Janela the most scared of? Like, if the Mets play them, you're like, man, we're really going to have to dig deep to beat these guys. Who's that for you? I'm not scared of anybody, Vinny. Bring him on. Okay. Um, I appreciate I, that. <laughs> that's kind of the mentality that I think Mets fans are starting to, to have this year starting to grasp and come around it. I think traditionally the Mets, when they're good as a franchise, they're they're great, right? In 69, nobody was touching them when they started that comeback. In 73, it was a down year for the league, but it was a team that with that pitching scared everybody. 86, one of the greatest teams of all time, baseball period, not just Mets. Even 88, when they went to the NLCS and lost, that was a team that won over 100 games. The team, the early 2000s team, the 2015 team, like when this team, when this franchise is good, they're, they're great. Like they are not scared of anybody. And it comes with a swagger that I think comes with playing in New York and succeeding in New York. You know, it's not made for everybody, but if you can stick around here and have some success, you get that extra confidence. You get that bounce in your step that I think gives you the chance to not be scared of other teams. Um, now the Braves, I think <laughs> It's tough to call a World Series win a fluke, right? But they had to have a lot of things go right for them last year, and they did. And that's part of winning any championship in any sport is having is having luck through injuries, through acquisitions, through you know timing, through opponents, all that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't say I'm scared of the Dodgers, but I would say I I want the Dodgers. I want to see that NLCS heavyweight fight back and forth. Ali Frazier, just give me the team that's been the class of the league for the last ten plus years. And I want to I want to take them down, you know, so I want to see the Mets uh, go after that. Uh, the central teams, I don't think, uh, you know, they don't scare too many people. Uh, but again, you never know, because like we saw with Atlanta last year, no one was too scared of them. And they end up taking the whole thing. So 
Uh, yeah, Dodgers, the easy answer. I used to work for the Padres, so that would be a cool playoff series just to see the Mets and Padres, a little Mike uh, Janela series. But yeah, oh give, me, um, give, give me Mets Dodgers for, for everything in the NL, and I would take that, you know, seven games out of seven. Oh, man. Mets Dodgers in the NLCS would just be so cool. And I honestly think the only thing that would be cooler involving the Mets would be a Subway World Series, New York Yankees versus New York Mets. Would you sign up for that if it was presented to you, or would you want to stay away from that? No, how how could you not want that? Um, again, it's something that when when the Mets are good, we as fans get irrationally confident, maybe. And you know, when we're good, it's like, yeah, give us give us whoever. We don't care. I remember in 2015 when the Mets won the pennant, Jake Arrieta was having one of the great seasons we'd ever seen uh, on the on the mound for the Cubs, and it was like, yeah, give, we don't care. Give us the Cubs in the NLCS. Give us Arietta. And and the Mets, you know, tattooed them and were and 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 dist- and curb stomped the Cubs. So that's something that I think as Mets fans, you when you're feeling yourself, you're feeling yourself. Like you're you're in your bag. So I think that's something this year where look, the Yankees can point to the rings and and how many of them they have. And no team in baseball can argue with them on that. But you know, that was that was the 50s and the 60s and the 20s and the 90s. You know, this is now. So anytime we have a chance to uh, get a Subway Series, only been one Mets-Yankees one, and that didn't end well for the Mets side. You know, I was a kid. I was in high school. It was a formative uh, humbling for me back in 2000. I'd love a shot at revenge uh, to do it now. And if I could, you know, possibly be there uh, in person now doing my thing for the team that I grew up loving to make that happen, I, what a dream come true that would be. That's awesome. Really quick before I let you go, you brought up earlier, you're from Central Jersey. You live in Central Jersey. Are you a New Jersey Devils fan or do you just not care about hockey at all? Uh, no, I care about hockey, but uh, I was I was such a Mets fan growing up that I didn't have much room for anything else uh, in my life, sports team wise. So uh, I moved to New York to the city, uh, you know, 10 years ago. All my friends were Rangers fans. So I kind of am a, a casual Rangers fan, but I follow the sport. But yeah, not nearly as diehard of, of any hockey team as I am the Mets, for example. Okay. I just had to ask, cause I'm all Chicago fanhood, except for hockey. I'm a diehard New Jersey devils fan. We have a show here on the Barroom network on Wednesdays. Uh, it's called bar down talking hockey. And we, we do, I do plenty of devils love on that. How'd, how'd, how'd that happen? You know, my last name is Parisi. And when uh, I was Zach, a kid, yeah. Zach, Zach was one of the five best players in the league playing for the devils. And yep. once he left, I, I didn't leave. So <laughs> I, I stuck around and now it's like my job. So, you know, I just hey, nice that. man. That's 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 loyal. Well, good for you. That's I'm sure the people here in Jersey love getting that that coast to coast support. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, I can't thank you enough for giving me some of your time on the show today. It's been a blast. I'm very much rooting for the New York Mets to do something in the playoffs. They kind of remind me. We say the sons of Uribe, White Sox fans and uh, Mets fans. They're cut from the same cloth, being the younger brother in a big city. So, I love every minute of it. That's very true. Yeah, we're kindred spirits, the time zone away. So I uh, appreciate that, Vinny. And yeah, good luck to your socks, man. Uh, Tim Anderson back, you know, should be pretty exciting. Help out a little bit and hoping you guys have a good rest of the season too. Yeah, me too. Well, everybody, I hope you follow Mike Janella on Twitter, at Mike Janella. And before we go, we would send you to a quick commercial break. What was the motivation to get into scouting? I guess I'd been analytical mm-hmm. in that area, like even when I was like a a kid. That's Forte's first touchdown, and he autographed it. That's the Pro Bowl players one year. All those are our picks. So that's Briggs, Nate Basher, Tommy Harris. 
two things, the bigger ones on top, mm -hmm. those were gifts from Parcells when we went to the Super Bowls that he gave all the scouts. It's the 85 Bears. The Bears gave us that. That Ted Phillips gave us. It's opening night at the new Soldier Field. That's Devin's touchdown in the Super Bowl. Devin autographed that. But this is our, our first draft class. Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi. I can't thank Mike Janella enough for coming on our show. It was really funny. I sent a request to join the space, the New York Mets space, and he accepted me. And we talked about the Mets for a couple minutes, and then I listened to him respond to the kind of prompt that I presented to Mets Twitter and just going off on DeGrom and Scherzer. I mean, those are two of the three or four best pitchers to pitch in Major League Baseball in the last 20 years. He brought up Verlander and Kershaw. I would say those are the four best pitchers I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm not – I'm 27, so I kind of – I remember Pedro Martinez, but, you know, I don't remember, like, Expos Pedro Martinez or anything like that. Like, to me, Pedro's the greatest pitcher who ever lived. But, you know, that's just based on looking on stats and watching old video. As far as me being a diehard fan of baseball and watching to this extent, it's those four for me, Scherzer, DeGrom, Kershaw, and Verlander. And, you know, Arietta had a couple really nice years where he was like at the top of his game. Chris Sale is certainly in the top 10 of the last 20 years, I would say. But, you know, getting those two guys is going to be a huge boost to an already awesome New York Mets team. So I wish the Mets well going forward. Another team in the National League that I promised when talking on Bar Down Talking Hockey earlier uh, yesterday, in fact, I said I was going to talk about the San Francisco Giants for a while. And I prepared a couple notes just to at least talk about them for you know, five to 10 minutes to see where we could take it. But if you have anything to say in the chat too, I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you enjoyed the interview with Mike and all that, um, thank you so much for tuning in. The San Francisco Giants are 38 and 30, and I believe they are playing right now. I can actually pull up a score for you in the meantime. They are currently losing to the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves by a score of seven to five in the top of the ninth inning. And they're four and a half games back going into this game. The Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres are tied for first. So we'll see the results of their game to decide whether or not this potential Giants loss impacts their status in the division. But as of right now, they're a very good team. If they become 38 and 31, they're definitely not the 107 win team that they were a year ago. And then, of course, they had that epic five-game playoff series with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it was honestly incredible to watch. I love watching the Giants play. And Skyler in the chat points out that the Braves have been insane lately. Yeah. I mean, they're 40 and 30. They're about to be 41 and 30 if they hang on to this ninth inning lead over the San Francisco Giants. And the Braves are four and a half games out behind the New York Mets, which is wild because the Mets, they haven't gone on like a slump or anything like that. They just never went on a stretch where they won 15 games out of 16. Or anything like that. You know, the Mets are six and four in the last ten. The Braves are actually seven and three. 
it's honestly stunning. And we'll get to this a little bit later in the show. The one series the Braves have lost in the last couple of weeks has been to the Chicago Cubs, who were went into that series on a 10-game losing streak. So I'm sure Braves fans are kind of annoyed that they probably should have an even closer lead to the Mets if they would have taken care of their business against the Cubs. But, hey, the Cubs put on a good show and scrapped out a couple wins. But, you know, we'll get to them in a little bit. The Giants, the Giants have Carlos Rodon now. And I honestly think one of the dumber moves the White Sox have made in the last 20 years was not even offering Carlos Rodon arbitration or any uh, qualifying offer, whatever the proper term is. They didn't offer him any of that. They just let him walk and said, no, we're not qualifying you. Carlos Rodon, the only, I believe the only pitcher in the White Sox rotation who has a lower ERA than Carlos Rodon's 2.7 is Michael Kopech. I mean, Giolito's been shit in the bed the last three or four starts. Dylan Cease is awesome, but his his even his ERA isn't that low, and he has the lowest ERA of qualified starting pitchers in the um, American League Central, which I did see that. So that probably means Michael Kopech doesn't have enough innings to qualify as a qualified starter for the Cy Young Award yet. I mean, we'll see if he gets there. I believe the qualifications for that is number of innings pitched being more than or equal to the number of games your team has played. So by the end of the season, to qualify, to be a qualified pitcher, you need 162 innings because your team will have played 162 games. Um, But yeah, Carlos Rodon, he had a really good game yesterday for the San Francisco Giants. He gave up one run in seven innings of uh, really good baseball. And then his bullpen gave up three runs and the Giants lost the game after Rodon came out. And he's probably getting some old school White Sox flashbacks with, you know, that performance by his bullpen. He's actually probably thinking like, this is what Chris Sale used to deal with when he was on the White Sox pitching all elite. And then the bullpen making it where he don't get a win or the team in general, not getting a win. But yeah, that 2.7 ERA, I'm very happy for Los. And I think it's incredibly dumb that the White Sox didn't even slap a qualifying offer and get a potential, uh, what I forget what the compensation pick compensation draft pick. It's like in between the first and second round that you get a pick, but it's just honestly crazy. One player I did want to mention besides Rodon that plays for the San Francisco giants. Of course, those of you who know me know, I do appreciate me Boston Red Sox baseball and the history behind that team. Carl Yastrzemski's grandson, Mike Yastrzemski is one of the best players on the San Francisco giants at this point. And I've been enjoying watching him play. He spent a lot of time in the minor leagues before eventually making it up to Major League Baseball, and he hasn't been bad at all. He's actually been very good. Um, The Giants definitely feel the fruits of his labor, and if you haven't gotten a chance to watch San Francisco Giants baseball, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. They're one of my favorite teams in the league to watch. The game's going on right now. It's actually almost over, as I mentioned. I do believe that... Well, they got one run in the top of the ninth, and then they blew it. Or not blew it, but they lost by one. Last, I literally checked at the beginning of this San Francisco Giants segment, and they were losing 7-5. to five. Now they ended up the final score 7-6. to six. And I guess now's the perfect time to break right into the White Sox as they made some big roster moves here. Um, wow, it's actually happening. So it's something that was expected and White Sox Twitter was reporting on it all night. Adam Engel and Danny Mendick both went on the 10 day injured list after coming out of the game yesterday. The White Sox recalled Gavin Sheets from AAA. And this is breaking news as of five seconds ago. Um, They did select the contract of infielder 
Lennon Sosa from Double A. They called him straight up from Double A. Who's the last time? When's the last time the White Sox called the guy up from Double A? Is it Bobby Jenks? It might be Bobby Jenks. I'm not even like I can't recall anyone being skipping Charlotte at all. I just don't recall it at any point. And this news by the White Sox, in order to make room, they also put Eloy Jimenez on the 60-day injured list. I guarantee that that is retroactive, and it's definitely not 60 days from now. It's 60 days from six weeks ago when he went down. So he's probably eligible to come back right around July 10th is my honest thought. Um, If I am able to come across a tweet that will – you know, say the exact date he's eligible to come back. I'm not seeing when it's retroactive until, but it's definitely going to be the day after that game where he went out. So still looking for it here. I'm not finding when the retroactive date is, but you know, it's not, it's not going to be a long time. Um, Eloy will be back soon. Don't let that scare you. But the big news, Lennon Sosa getting called up from double a he'll probably start at second base tonight the lineup hasn't come out yet but i'm sure it will whenever the white Sox call someone up they seem to play him right away so i'm fully expecting sosa to be that guy at second tonight he's been mashing in double a it's not like he's just like this crazy random prospect call up like there are people that believe he would have went to triple a and done even better um because sometimes the pitching is better in Double A because there are more guys with better stuff, and the Triple A guys are a lot of journeymen just playing Triple A baseball. Like there, there's lots of arguments for either way. I don't know if I personally agree with that take, but it's definitely something to think about that he's been so good in Double A, like extra good in Double A, and he deserves this call up. The White Sox front office obviously feels that he is better fitting for this particular assignment than somebody like Yolbert Sanchez, who is a second baseman for the Charlotte Knights in AAA and easily could have been the guy called up instead. But it's Lennon Sosa time. Um, we will see him on the south side soon enough. When I woke up this morning, uh, I was tagged in a video. And in this video, a very uh, becoming a good friend of mine, I enjoy his programs. I... Uh, obviously he's a radio legend in town. Everybody knows his name, like him, love him, hate him, disagree with him, agree with him. You know who Mike North is. And Mike North had this to say about me yesterday. Do respect to the Parisi family. <laughs> I heard my guy Vinny, who I love, and you know I've been on the show. Yeah. And I'll go on again. I love him. Mm-hmm. They have a great podcast because you get passion but not always accuracy mm-hmm. because his tweet today and then he would tell you this said because i saw it last night i said be careful Vinny. why isn't tony starting mendic why isn't tony starting mendic yeah, I, I almost tweeted something to him i said give josh harrison mm-hmm. a shot he's they're not going to put him on the shelf mm-hmm. they're Tony LaRusso will stick with every player in that locker room. Mm-hmm. And this is what many White Sox podcasters and fans are missing. That guy's got the locker room. They love him. They say it all the time. They know they got a guy that's got their back. Number one. Yeah. They do. They, they, it's, it's period. No, the media can contrive any kind of friction. There's none. There's none. Okay, so what does Josh Harrison do last night? Mm-hmm. I watch early. I see him make a great backhanded play. I see, you know, then he gets a home run. 
LaRusso won't quit on him. Now, in Vinny's defense, he tweets out this morning, hey, Tony LaRusso was right. I was wrong. That's all we needed to see. Yeah. No. He went that extra mile. (laughs) Which I've been known to do maybe extra five miles. So I'm in on him, but he goes, not like Tony LaRusso apologists who won't admit when they're wrong. I love it. So all of a sudden, the apology turned into knocking the Tony LaRusso apologists up against the wall. Okay. Mike North, Mike North, Mike North. I love you, Mike. I was wrong about Josh Harrison, okay? They didn't put Danny Mendick in the lineup. I thought he absolutely deserved to be the second baseman when Tim Anderson resumed his duties from injury. Okay. They put Josh Harrison at second. He makes a couple incredible defensive plays at second base, and he hits a home run. And that home run served to be needed because they won the game by one run. Okay. Tony LaRusa had a better feel for that than I would have. And you never know what Danny Mendick would have did in that game. Obviously, if you believe in time and space, I don't know. But Josh Harrison did his job. I was wrong. And credit to Mike North. He admitted that it was a buffoon move to walk Trey Turner and get to Max Muncie, who hit it to Pluto. That is absolutely why the White Sox lost the series to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it didn't help that one game earlier than that, Leary Garcia was the leadoff man. And when you're the leadoff man, you get you are guaranteed the most at-bats on your ball team. It is just logic. You are guaranteed the most at-bats on your team. Leary Garcia comes up to bat later in that game. He's got the go-ahead run on third base. He puts up a non-competitive at-bat and swings at nothing and looks overmatched on every single pitch. There is no doubt that Tony La Russa has his guys' backs, and all the guys love playing for him. I never once questioned you never see me tweet because I learned I, – I questioned it when your mean Mercedes swung at the 3-0 pitch. I questioned – and Tony LaRusa didn't have his back. It almost seemed like he had the back of the Minnesota Twins in that game. But really, since then, it's been obvious that your mean Mercedes has problems outside of, you know, Tony LaRusa or the White Sox. There were some serious stuff with your mean Mercedes going on that went well beyond that. I was wrong. Tony LaRusa – Clearly, as Tim Anderson's back, Tim Anderson wouldn't call Tony Larusa a best friend. A best friend, excuse me, if he didn't believe he had his back. Tim Anderson will say "f you" to anyone and anyone he feels like, and he had Tony Larusa's back. And Jose Abreu, when he got beamed last year against Cleveland, Tony Larusa runs out there. You've all seen the gif of him slowly running out there. There's no doubt, and he had Leary Garcia's back when. Someone called him a utility player. He goes, Larry Garcia is not a utility player. Even though, yes, he is a utility player, Tony. But, you know, and uh, my critiques of Tony LaRusa have nothing to do with personal agendas or what he believes about this and that off the field or relationship with players. There's no doubt he's got his guys back. He is a pretty he's shown me that he's a good players manager. There's no doubt. I never once questioned that. And if I did, I have since redacted that statement. I hated the Yermin Mercedes thing in the time. I, I don't hate swinging at a 3-0 pitch because no lead is safe in baseball. Just ask the Philadelphia Phillies. But I the way he treated Yermin Mercedes, obviously there was something beyond baseball there. My critiques with Tony LaRusa 
only come with baseball operations. I don't like bad players leading off. I don't like Andrew Vaughn in the ninth spot. I don't like Jake Berger hitting lower than Harrison or Garcia. I hate when anybody but Vaughn is batting second. What the hell is Robert doing batting seventh earlier in the season? Those are in-game baseball things. Why in the world does Bennett Sousa come in the game when Kendall Graveman is perfectly fine in the bullpen? There are plenty, plenty of in-game issues that I have with Tony LaRusso. Okay? He was right about Josh Harrison. I was wrong. Okay? I'll admit that. But my, I just want Mike to know it has nothing to do with Tony LaRusa as a person or the way he treats his players. There's no friction in the Chicago White Sox locker room. I don't think they play uninspired like some people claim they do. Oh, I have one thing. I hate that they run into each other so much. I, like, I just don't understand how a Major League Baseball team just can't communicate on a fly ball. Of course, in any given instance, it's not Tony LaRusa's fault. But I believe the fact that it happens over and over again is not only Tony LaRusso's fault, but it's also the entire coaching staff's fault. How are these guys just not screamed at or benched or something? If and and tell the media why you're doing why hey, I benched Hazley because he doesn't know how to call off Danny Mendick, and now he has a torn ACL and he's probably out for the year, which is something I read while Mike was talking in the video there. Those are my issues with Tony LaRusso. It has nothing to do with player personnel. It is simply in-game strategy. Until he consistently proves me wrong and my eyes tell me that Tony LaRusso's in-game management, his bullpen management, his game strategy. I mean, last year he didn't know he could frickin' because there was still the DH or there was still no DH in the National League last year. He didn't even know the rules and extra innings that he could pinch hit for the pitcher who was on second base the slow ass pitcher. I forgot. It might've been Liam Hendricks. And I, I, those things to me are what are mind boggling. It has nothing to do with Tony as a manager. There's no friction. I don't think he's a bad guy. It is strictly baseball in game management that I have taken issue with plenty of things so far this season. And I believe he has cost them three or four games so far this season. If they had a different manager, do I think they'd be significantly better? I don't think necessarily because of injuries. Moncada's back on the IL and he's been injured. Yasmani Grandal, Robert spent time. Giolito, something's wrong with Giolito. When they get healthy, which they're going to pretty soon here, I think, um, especially if the Sosa kid plays well, uh, the White Sox are going to make the playoffs. That's my like wholehearted prediction. They're what, two and a half games out of a wild card spot right now. And there's no one game wild card anymore. But. Um, Aldo puts it perfectly in the chat. I'd like to have a beer with Tony, but I don't want him managing the White Sox. That, that's just how I stand. I, I could not agree more. A, a, any of my critiques, they're all baseball related. If you find me something where I said something about friction or this, I think the White Sox have a coaching problem. They run into each other like nobody's business. Me and my pals on our Little League team knew how to call the ball off. I never ran into anybody. And I played first base and I had to run backwards towards the right fielder on those types of fly balls. I just don't understand how these major league players, they're not coached to, you know, stop running into each other. That bothers me. And Tony La Russa is the manager. Okay. Even if it's a different coach's job to coach them up on those things, it's on Tony to get that coach to do their job, which is to get these guys to not run into each other. 
it's just mind boggling to me. Um, the Harrison thing that I was wrong on that. And I'm not going to be right on all my critiques of Tony. I'll be lucky to be right on half of them. But in the moment, I thought Danny Mendick was better suited for second base. And now we'll see how it is without him going forward because he's probably going to be out for the whole season. I actually didn't read that he's out for the season. But, like, isn't that what a torn ACL means? Um, I'm not too sure. But, you know, this White Sox team, they're incredibly talented. They just took two of three from the Toronto Blue Jays, who are one of the best teams in the American League. They are six and three in their last nine. Um, they're six and three since I went on WGN radio and talked shit about them. So credit to me. They have the Baltimore Orioles coming up. The Baltimore Orioles, you think they stink, right? You're watching the oh, the Baltimore Orioles, the White Sox will sweep them. No, 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 not so fast. If the White Sox sweep them, that's a quality sweep because. The Baltimore Orioles, they play in the league's best division, and they are coming. Sorry to tell you, the Baltimore Orioles are coming. They're going to ruin a lot of teams' lives in the next couple years. Very good players, very hard to play against. They kind of remind me of the 2019 White Sox or the 2014 Cubs, okay? They're this team that's under 500, and they'll probably remain under 500, but they'll scare the crap out of you. And tonight's matchup actually favors the Orioles. I know Johnny Cueto, he leads the White Sox in quality starts. You know, he's been very, very good. But they got one of their best righties on the mound tonight. It's going to be difficult for the White Sox offense to muster up runs. I think they're going to be able to. Uh, I obviously am never going to pick the White Sox to lose to the Orioles in a season like this. But they got they got to treat it like it's the Yankees. Otherwise, they'll get creamed. I'm being dead serious about these guys. The Baltimore Orioles are coming. They got four against them. I will be there on Saturday and Sunday. So if you see me at the ballpark, come up to me and buy me a beer. Um, that's all I got for the White Sox. You know, they're going to start playing tonight. Um, one thing I do want to talk about really quick before we head on out of here. Uh, we got about 15 minutes. The Chicago Cubs. Okay. The Chicago Cubs. They're the hardest team in the league to like predict because, yeah, you could say they're going to lose, right? They're going to lose. They're going to lose. They've won. They've lost a bunch. They've only won two of their last, what, 15 games, is it? Something like that. But there are times where they just come out and they look sick. And this Keegan Thompson kid, I wouldn't mind freaking the White Sox picking him up. And, you know, he didn't have his best stuff yesterday. Or, no, he did win yesterday. Um, I'm telling you, this Keegan Thompson kid, 3.10 ERA, 7-2. If they want to keep him and try and build around him, I'm not too sure how old he is, but he's definitely somebody you could either get a lot for or sign him up and keep him around for a long time and hope that other people come around him together. It's no coincidence to me that that's the one game against Pittsburgh that they won, and now they are currently tied 7-7 to with these Pittsburgh Pirates in the bottom of the ninth. When the show first started and I brought in Mike, they were losing – and then they were winning when the Mike interview was over, and now they're tied again at seven. So they're just inconsistent. Um, the Zach Afros is pitching. He's very good, too, 3.10 ERA. The Cubs have a really nice bullpen. I like their bullpen a lot. I think they can use some of those pieces to help build their organization back up again, similarly to how they did last year with Kimbrell, Tapera, and Chafin. Um, but, yeah, before winning yesterday, they were – Losers of three straight, and they were outscored 25-2 to two in those games. That's the problem. When A lot of the times when they lose, they get killed. 
So the fact that this game against the Pirates is close, they gave up seven runs, but you know, you got to figure they're, they're going to be happy with this result, but they have the fourth, fourth worst record in the majors and they're going to have, you know, a really high draft pick next year. Um, I would trade everyone. There's nobody on that roster that would be untouchable to me, except for like the top prospects, of course, that have five to six years of control, but Wilson Contreras, see ya. Kyle Hendricks, see ya. Nobody's going to take Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward would play every inning of every game the rest of the season. If I was David Ross and Jed Hoyer pulling the, um, the strings there. Um, I just got one of the funniest texts I've ever seen while I'm talking about the Cubs, my pal Dylan. Uh, those of you watching might've heard me talk about Dylan a lot. He's a real funny character. Um, he texted me saying the marquee network seems no fun. Every time I turn the game on, um, I would actually love to hear what Cubs fans feel about the marquee network. It does kind of feel kind of dry. Like even when the white Sox stink, Jason Benetti and Steven stone are interesting to listen to. And they had Hawk before that. And I love Len. Len does the radio for the White Sox now, but before he left the Cubs, they were interesting to listen to. I'm just not sure about Boog as like a team announcer. He's a great national announcer. He just, he seems like he's still announcing national games when he calls Cubs games on marquee. I don't know though. Maybe that's just my dumb White Sox fan perspective, but yeah, I kind of agree. The marquee network, they got some work to do. I do believe they will get it figured out. I believe the what do you call it? The motive is there. Like, I kind of like their slogan. We get it. We get it all or something like that. Like we like basically admitting they understand it. They understand what it's like to be a diehard cup fan. Um, I, I think they'll get there eventually. Um, Skylar Reese, one of the biggest cub fans that I do know. Um, he's, he doesn't care for Boog. So Skylar's basically not saying that he thinks Boog stinks. You just not, you don't care for him. I kind of feel the same way as a, as a Cubs announcer. As a Cubs announcer, announcing ESPN game between the Yankees and Red Sox on Sunday night, or, you know, if you have a random game between like the Marlins and the Rays, you know, Sunday night, Florida baseball, those are fine. But I think as, as a one team announcer, he just seems kind of dry. And Skyler reminds us that when Pat Hughes does the Sunday games, it's fantastic. Uh, does he do the Sunday games because – He's on ESPN at night. Like, is that because the White Sox don't have Benetti on Sunday either? The White Sox get Len on Sunday because Benetti does that peacock wake up with baseball thing. Uh, he announces the day game between two random teams. On, I know on Mother's Day it was the Red Sox and the White Sox, and Benetti got to call it because of the fact that he would be doing it no matter what. But I, I wonder if it's the same thing with Pat Hughes covering for Boog on Sundays. Um, and then Len does the White Sox on Sundays. And then on the radio, when Len is doing the White Sox broadcast, Connor McKnight is um, the radio announcer. So Skyler points out Boog does ESPN radio on Sundays. That, that makes sense. So the White Sox and the Cubs have two announcers that are v considered to be very good on the national scale, which I believe I, I like Boog as a national guy. I'll, I'll stand by that take. I will stand by that take um, just as a single team announcer. Like when Len used to call the Cubs, it's back, it's back and Cubs win, Cubs win. You don't get that from Boog. Okay. You, you do get that from Len. You do get that from Jason. Um, it's just, they'll figure it out though. 
uh, Boog is going to hear people like me complaining and Cubs fans like Skyler complaining. But at the end of the day, let's just hope both of these two teams in town can get it together because, yeah, I I, I crack my Cubs jokes all the time. I, I enjoy taking cracks at the Cubs just like Cub fans like taking cracks at me. It's fun. But something's, something's happening to me this year. I'm getting sick and tired of New York owning baseball. And if those two teams play each other in the World Series and the Gabagoo Yankee fans and the the Mets fans, which I like Mets fans. I liked Mike Janela. Uh, we've had Mark Luino on this show. Great people. But New York owning Chicago on the baseball scene, it's kind of disgusting. And the Rangers were just in the – conference championship the blackhawks are one of the worst teams in the league uh, you know the bears suck but the giants and jets also stink but i actually think the jets are going to surprise some people this year they're going to be the better of the two new york teams in my opinion but you know skyler says it's just a little hard to go from chip carry to len casper and then to boog but like you said he's just a little dry yeah he's not a bad announcer there are bad announcers where it's like ugh, who is this guy and but but Boog, it's just like, yeah. And here's the pitch, and that ball's hit deep in the left center field, and it is gone. Wilson Contreras gives the Cubs a two nothing lead. But okay, so that's the Cubs getting a two nothing lead, right? But then if the opposite happens and it's something bad happening to the Cubs, and there's a deep drive to left center by Freddie Freeman, and it is gone. The Cubs. Now trail the Dodgers by a score of three to two. There's no difference. You know, to me, I like there to be a difference. Jason Benetti, Len Casper, when the teams that they call hit a home run, they'll seem just a bit more excited than they would have if the other team does it. So that's my take on the announcing from both sides. And a long little discussion there coming from a text message that I got from a pal of mine where even the chats chiming in. Thank you, Skyler. Um, yeah, so... That's it for the baseball portion of this show. It's been, oh, yeah, Skyler. Len Casper walk-offs are electric factory. Okay, I haven't heard one on the radio. I've actually listened to Len on the radio probably more this season than I have in other seasons just because sometimes life forces you to listen to games on the road just a little bit more. Um, I obviously have to always be tuned in so I can accurately do this show and keep my blog accurate and you know I'm I'm always tuned in I very when I went to Door County I tuned out just a little bit and I the one game I did happen to watch while I was on vacation was that stupid game against the Dodgers where they walked Trey Turner but you know other than that one week I'm pretty much always tuned in and sometimes you got to listen to the radio and I enjoy Len so hopefully I'll be able to catch him do a walk off one of these days um it'll probably be on TV though because when I'm in the car, it's normally like the middle of the game. I can't say I'm ever really in the car for like the ninth inning. I probably just wouldn't leave my house. But, um, you know, that's it for baseball. One thing I did want to touch on before we head on out of here, I you know, I'll stay for another five minutes or so. Earlier today, we got breaking football news, guys. I'm really freaking excited about it, okay? I love college football, okay? I love it just as much as – the national football league. Like if you ask me, what do I like more between college football or the national football league? I don't know. I have no idea. It kind of depends on the day. 
if there's a Saturday where like Bama's got Georgia at night and Clemson is playing, you know, Baylor or something like something like multiple huge games, there are a couple dry weeks where all the big boys are playing like the easy portion of their schedule. Like, like middle Tennessee, you'll be playing against Alabama and Bama will win 65 to nine. Like, you know, stuff like, like when the entire schedule is like that, it's, you know, it's definitely the NFL. You know, the the worst team, and they say any given Sunday, the worst team could beat the best team. You know, we saw in week 18 last season, the Jacksonville Jaguars took out the Indianapolis Colts and allowed the Pittsburgh Steelers to make the playoffs because, like I said, any given Sunday. That really doesn't happen as much in college. It does every now and then. But, like, you know, you're going to get Alabama. You know, you're going to get, you know, Clemson most years lately. Um, Notre Dame's always going to be in the mix. Ohio State, Michigan, you know, the middle of the pack Big Ten teams are always the middle of the pack Big Ten teams like Northwestern and Iowa and Wisconsin, uh, Michigan State. Um, I, I went on that long rant just to basically say how much I love college football. And one team that has not been great in the last 10 to 15 years has been the University of Texas. The Texas Longhorns have basically been irrelevant in terms of wins and losses, basically since I was in elementary school. And now they are hoping to turn that around as Arch Manning has committed to the University of Texas. He will try to become their quarterback in the long term in the pursuit of an NFL career. Obviously, Arch Manning is the son of Archie Manning, who is the older brother of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. So he is their nephew. Um, Arch Manning probably would have made it to the league as a wide receiver had he not gotten hurt. And then, of course, Peyton Manning is a Hall of Fame, all-time great, top-five quarterback who ever lived. And Eli Manning can't quite say the same about him in terms of top five, all that. I do believe he's going to make it to the Hall of Fame because of cumulative stats and the fact that he's a two-time Super Bowl champion and a two-time Super Bowl MVP. Um, I, I just I think he gets in the, the last name. I, I probably wouldn't vote for him. But he's going to get in for sure. There's no doubt. And their their nephew is hoping to have a similar type of trajectory as he hopes to make it to the NFL one day. And he's going to be going to Texas. Um, I also know I got a text message earlier today from my friend Jeremy, who Skyler knows very, very well. Um, he claimed Quinn, Quinn Ewers, he left Ohio State for Texas. And... Skill-wise, this is from Jeremy. He has the he can be one of the best prospects since Trevor Lawrence, but he has a bad attitude, according to him. I'm not sure where this comes from. Um, I'm not sure if it's accurate. I'm sure it is. Um, but hey, if Texas has two really good quarterbacks to choose from, one of them might transfer. One of them, you know, you got to see what you got. But Arch Manning, he's committed to Texas, so at least get a shot there. Um, it's gonna be exciting. I can't wait to, you know, big cat tweets once a year. Texas is back. And then they're never back. He tweeted Texas is back today. They at least are for right now. You make uh, um, a claim like uh, Archie Manning or Arch Manning, I guess we should call him so we don't get him confused with his dad. Um, I think that makes it where you could say you're back. Skyler says Ewers must be going crazy uh, just on principle. Yeah, I mean, you transfer to Texas and then they recruit probably the biggest name in college football recruiting in the last 10 years and not because of skill or anything like that. I mean, it's a Manning, the first family of football, right? Like, you know, their dad was even in the league and I don't know. I just think 
I think it's going to be interesting to see college football with a Manning in it. We'll see how he's able to play. I saw some people with the first overall pick in the 2025 NFL draft, the so-and-so select Arch Manning quarterback Alabama, (laughs) you know, just inferring that he'll eventually uh, transfer out of Texas and, you know, move on to Alabama. But uh, King Pookie asked, didn't Watson play for Texas? No, he played for uh, the University of Clemson. Um, Clemson went from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence in a year, and they got really good quarterback play two years in a row. Um, I, I did hear that Texas or Clemson was in on Arch Manning. Um, the team I wanted him to go to was Ole Miss because I didn't think he would go to Tennessee like Peyton, but Ole Miss like Eli and Ole Miss was pretty good last year. And I want Ole Miss to be good. They're great at baseball. I think their colors are outstanding. I want them to become a prevalent in the SEC again, but you know, we'll see if that's ever able to happen. But you know, I like Ole Miss. I'm an SEC guy. If you've been watching the show for a long time, you know that, especially during football season. I root for the SEC teams for the most part, outside of my NIU Huskies. Let's go Huskies. Um, I I thought it would happen, but I guess it's not going to. Texas it is for now. So that's our show. I can't thank everybody enough for tuning into the chat. Keen Pookie, Skyler, Aldo. I don't, I don't know if I missed anybody. Um, I'm very thankful that everybody chimed in and joined the conversation. We will be back next week on Monday. The South Burbs Hitmen are going to be joined by a very special guest. Um, I'm going to pull up his little resume right here, right now, really quick. So I can um, accurately give the name. It's Ryan uh, Lee. Ryan Lee is the co-host with Alyssa Bergamini for White Sox games, the MC. And we're going to have him on our show to talk White Sox, the stadium, what's going on inside the stadium, all that sorts of good stuff. It's a White Sox-centered podcast, so all the Sox fans need to tune in to that show Monday, 8 o'clock. Um, I'll be back next week with Crosstown Cro- – or, uh, yeah, with Crosstown Crosstalk one week from today, obviously. But on Wednesday, Bar Down Talking Hockey will recap the Stanley Cup final. The Colorado Avalanche took a three games to one lead last night, and they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup tomorrow. And the Cup will be in the building for the rest of the series as Colorado will win it with their next win, could win it with their next win. The Lightning are going to try to have something to say about it, but man, that Avalanche team, they look strong. So make sure you tune into Bar Down next week to recap everything that you will see between then and now. Um, King Pookie points out in the chat that the NBA draft is today. Yep, we're going to see some of those great players from the March Madness tournament and, you know, all that sorts of stuff get drafted. I know Skyler's in the chat. Um, We love our March Madness, and we love watching those games together. So some of those players are going to realize their dreams tonight. Hopefully the Bulls are able to draft somebody who can help them take that next step because it was a great season for them for the most part until the end. And let's go Bulls. So – that's it for this show. Crosstown Crosstalk did some great New York Mets talk, talked about the Giants for a little bit, both Sox and Cubs as usual. Can't wait for next week, guys. I live for this stuff. You know, Monday night, we'll be right back at it with the South Burbs Hitman. Make sure you check out all the great shows over the weekend. Football season's coming fast. That's where the Barroom Network really thrives. You know, I, I handle hockey and baseball a lot. Or I'm, I'm part of handling it. And I can't wait to contribute to the football conversation, though. You know, this great Gabriel show that's coming up here. I highly encourage everybody to 
check that out and make sure you follow at Barroom Network on Twitter for more. And, you know, another week. Make sure you're following me at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. And as always, no matter what, watch your baseball. If you're a Cubs fan, tune into the Cubs. They stink. It don't matter. That's not how it works. You don't get to only watch them when they're good. Okay, you got to watch these prospects come up. You got to watch, you know, you guys get older and take it on the chin a little bit. You got to watch 162 games of Jason Hayward while the team rebuilds. That's how it works. Okay, I had to watch James Shields pitch. I had to watch Odrissimard Despagne pitch for the White Sox. And then when your team's finally good again and they slump like the White Sox are so far this season, you got to watch that too. You don't get to pick and choose your convenience for your fanhood. You be a fan. Okay? But I'm happy to have everybody as a fan. At the end of the day, we all love sports and we all love the same thing. So, as always, thank you for listening. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Benny, and Gonzo. Only on the Barroom Network.